0: Good afternoon. Welcome to Conversations and Meditations. I'm your host, Virgil Variks, and welcome to the show. Okay, so let's just jump right in. Uh, today's show is going to be about personal finance, particularly uh, you know some elements of personal finance and some practical wisdom on personal finance itself. So today, some of the concepts I want to cover are uh, comparative advantages and discovery of a career opportunities. I um, also want to probably get into a little bit of uh, discussion on entrepreneurship, productivity, and personal success. And uh, along with that, uh, the attitudes and productivity, and pers- the stuff that you know, the attitudes that will create the productivity and the personal success. And hopefully, if you have enough time, get into budgeting and getting more out of your income over the long run. So there's a lot of financial anxieties, you know, of uh, for Americans, and Americans, uh, you know, uh, tend to have quite a bit of uh, financial anxieties. So compared to uh, Americans a couple of generations ago. Uh, Their contemporaries worldwide, America's income have incredibly – Americans have incredibly high incomes, yet many are under financial stress. You know uh, Why is that? And just to put things into perspective, um, if you're an American making $34,000 and up, you're part of the 1 percent of the world. I'll take that into consideration. Take, take that into all of effect. If you're making $34,000 or more per year, you're part of the 1 percent of the world. So why do many Americans have financial anxiety? Uh, so I guess most Americans spend without a plan, save very little and are heavily indebted. Financial insecurity is mainly the result of choices we make, not the incomes we earn. So planning for financial success is a really important thing and I think it's essential if you're trying to you know, make it out here and live a good life and live a happy life. Uh, one that's not going to cause a lot of stress, at least from the financial perspective. So if you don't take charge of your finances, they will take charge of you as Yogi Berra, the great American philosopher and late baseball star said. You got to be very careful if you don't know where you're going because you might not get there. Each of us needs a plan. You know, The 12 elements in this discussion today will focus on a practical plan. They will help you make better financial decisions, whatever your current age, income level or background are. Um, So some thoughts on the importance of money and wealth in general. There is more to a good life than making money. When it comes to happiness, non-financial assets such as a good marriage, family, friends, fulfilling work, uh, religious uh, convictions or other types of convictions, enjoyable uh, hobbies uh, are more important than money obviously. However, there is nothing wrong with a desire to make money and spend it wisely. No matter what our uh, objectives in life are, they're easier to achieve if we have higher earnings, less debt and more wealth thus all of us have an incentive to improve our financial decision making all around so i guess the first thing we got to understand is you know discovering your comparative advantage and what does that necessarily mean okay so you need to take charge of your career development and plan how you can you know best develop your talents and use market cooperation to achieve your goals no one else cares more about your personal success than you do or should Uh, Neither does anyone else know about your interests, skills, and goals. No one knows more than you do. No matter how talented you are, you will always be relatively more productive in some areas than others. You need to discover what those areas are and where your comparative advantage lies. So thinking about about your career in general I think is a really important thing and I think the two factors – that are crucially important when making career choices is one: you need to develop skills and cultivate attitudes that will enhance your ability to provide others with goods and services they value uh, that they value highly. People earn income by helping others. If you want to achieve earning, you know, if you want to achieve earning success, you need to figure out how you can help others a lot. Uh, number two, you need to discover where your passions lie; those productive activities that provide you with the most fulfillment. Uh, comp, comp, uh, Passion for an activity go together. You know, if you have competency and passion for an activity go together. If you enjoy what you do and believe it's important, you'll be happy to do more of it and work to do better. Moreover, real wealth is measured in terms of personal fulfillment. So, I think the second element we need to focus on is you know cultivating the skills, and the attitudes and entrepreneurship. All these you know can increase productivity and make the services more valuable to others. So, producti- let's get into a discussion on product- productivity and earnings. How can you increase your productivity and therefore your earning power? So, there's many ways of doing this, but improved knowledge, having a higher skill level, and experience generally increase productivity. and enhance- enhances one's ability to provide valuable services to others. As a result, investments in human capital, you know, i.e., education, training, and other forms of skill acquisition, can improve both productivity and earnings. But other than you know, other personal attributes also influence productivity. Two of the most uh, important are personal attitudes and thinking entrepreneurially. So cultivating these attitudes are essential and you know, this will improve your productivity you know, completely. Um, success-oriented attributes, being honest, you know, being dependable, persistence, reliability, trustworthiness, um, respect for others, desire to learn and improve, the ability to work well with others. Uh, failure-oriented uh, attitudes that happen, or at you know, um, within your mind while discussing with yourself about what you want into uh, a better career or better you know jobs in the future. So, a failure-oriented attitude would 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 uh, be uh, disrespect for others, unreliability, quarrelsome, contempt for education, vulgarity of speech, blaming others for problems, dishonesty, reliance on alcohol or drugs. Uh, those will not. Uh, lead to success and not in the slightest. So you need to cultivate that attitude that will improve your productivity. That's what you need to do. And if you want to be successful, you need to cultivate, develop and strengthen the first set of attributes that I mentioned earlier, um, the success oriented ones. They need to become habits, the core values of your life. Equally important, you need to cast the second set out of your life. Do not let anyone, including friends, family members convince you that any of these failure attributes are cool Or we're just, you know, that's just the way it is because it isn't. You have a choice. If you want to be better, if you want to get better, you need to work at it. So something I mentioned earlier is cultivating the entrepreneurial way of thinking. You know, entrepreneurial thinking is also a personal attribute that can enhance your productivity. When entrepreneurship is often associated with business, in a very real sense, all of us are entrepreneurs. We're all constantly making decisions about the development and use of knowledge, skills, and other resources under our control. Entrepreneurial thinking focuses on how to develop and use talent and talents, and mobilize available resources to provide others with things that they value highly. So, characteristics of self-employed entrepreneurs you know, self-employed entrepreneurs are disprop- disproportionately represented among the financially successful. Four major factors contribute to the financial success of self-employed entrepreneurs, and they're number one: identify and act on. Attractive opportunities overlooked by others. Two, have a willingness to take a risk. Three, have high rates of savings and investment. Four, have a willingness to work long hours because they love what they do. And this, like I said, it doesn't. It's not only. You know, only, you know for people that are trying to you know start their own business and be entrepreneurs, this can go and lead towards your current field that you're working in as an employee. You can take these principles and apply them to what you do yourself. Employees and entrepreneurial ca- characteristics. Employees can also make live choices like those of successful entrepreneurs. They can focus on making their services valuable to, uh, to employers, both current and prospective employers. They can invest their savings in stocks and thereby achieve above average returns that come with the risk of business ownership. Uh, another translation is you know, generate more income and accumulate wealth through higher rates of investment and more hours of work. So, development of talents and earned success, development and use of your talents, in use of your talents in ways that provide large benefits to others, is key to financial success. It is also central to what Arthur Brooks calls the earning earned success. Moreover, earned success is the central employment of happiness in life. satisfaction element. Excuse me. Central element of happiness and life satisfaction. Earned success is, pres- is present when your education. Work and lifestyle choices reflect the purpose of your life. So we're going to get into another thing right here. Uh, use, use budgeting to help you spend your money effectively and save regularly. Uh, you know, as Iran said, money is only a tool. It will take you wherever you wish, but it will not replace you as a driver. So let's get into a discussion on budgeting and saving right now. I think what is budgeting and people have, you know, what is the purpose of budgeting more, more so? Uh, a budget is an instrument that will help you channel your funds towards sound spending and regular saving and diversified investments in a manner that will provide you with the most value for your income. So effective budgeting is an ongoing process. It's not a one-time event. You're going to be doing it your whole life and changing it depending on what's going on in your life and what's going on in your work environment. It's comprised primarily of two specific actions. One, You must create the initial budget, which is simply a document that identifies all your planned and expected spending for a period of time, generally a month. And two, you need to keep track of your actual spending and make needed budget adjustments over time. This will provide you with feedback with a feedback mechanism that will help you develop a better, more precise budget in the future. So the importance of saving in your budget is paramount. Saving and investment should be Specific items in your budget, not just leftover balance. You know, you need to save for unexpected expenditures, repayment of outstanding debts, down payments for large purchases, the, adva- the achievement of important goals, and for the long run, retirement. Consuming less and saving more today will make it possible for you to consume more in the future. Saving an investment will help you build wealth and generate wealth over time while you work. In the whole idea about saving an investment, particularly, is that it provides a lot of passive income. You don't really have to be completely active in doing stuff with it constantly and trying to figure it out. You just invest and you let it go from there. And occasionally make some, you know, minor changes here and there as uh, different variables come into the situation. So steps for for building successful budgeting. You know, building a, a, a successful budgeting plan is you know you gotta budget, you know, budgeting your income and monitoring your behavior will help you evaluate your spending and direct it towards the category that will provide you with the most value. For simple step, you know, there's four simple steps that will get you on the path to financial stability. So step one, start now as this will increase your likelihood of success. Don't fool yourself into thinking that budgeting is only for people with jobs, high salaries, or you'll start later. That's not the way to do it. If you're gonna start budgeting and start, you know, uh, investing, do it now. Do it now. Start budgeting right now. Step two, set your goals, right? Use your goals to motivate your actions. Set short, medium, and long-term financial goals and incorporate a plan to achieve them into your budget. Step three, get tools to assist you with your budgeting. Don't Don't recreate the wheel by starting with a blank piece of paper to develop a budget. With today's websites, you know, the, and uh, stuff online, spreadsheets, applications, budgeting has never been easier. And there's so much resources out there that allow people to go ahead and make tremendous strides and tremendous, leeway, I mean, uh, movement in terms of getting their budgeting plans and their investment plans going. And step four, you know, devise a plan of action, create a personal budget. With actual and proposed items on there, so you know what you need to do for the perceived you know time. So let's say a month, you know exactly what goes into your budget, and what you know can be set aside for savings, investment, and for uh, you know disposable income. So let's say let's just bring an example here. Uh, this is the power of saving. So think about coffee, right? So many people buy a premium cup of coffee, uh, some uh, some pop. Uh, bottled water, some other caffeinated drink, or uh, some other beverage each day, right? Let's assume the drink costs $2. So at age 22, you stop buying a drink each day and place that $2 into your investment. At age 24, 24, you bump it up $1 and save $3 a day. Your income will likely increase. So it should be easy. At age 26, your daily savings move into $4 a day. Do this until you're 30 and you'll have saved. About ninety four, uh, I mean uh, nine thousand four hundred ninety dollars plus interest. It's pretty good, but you know, by the time you retire at age sixty seven, sixty eight, that early start can easily build to one hundred fifty three thousand to your wealth if you invested wisely at about seven percent a year. More, you know, more on this expected rate return later. We'll, we'll get into that exactly. So commitment is essential for building successful budgeting. Dave Ramsey, one of the nation's leading financial advisors, uh, highlights the importance of making a personal commitment to forming a sound money habits. For sound money habits, he claims that the thing I have discovered about uh, working with personal finance is that the good news is that it is not rocket science. Personal finance is about eighty percent behavior; it's only about twenty percent head knowledge. And you know, after we get more involved, you know, you're going to be uh, kind of guess getting understand uh what what it takes and are you ready to commit to aligning your consumption, saving, borrowing, and earning decisions with those that promise financial stability and, a, and lead to a rewarding life So I guess some some things we can get into right now are uh, strategic spending used versus new as a as a discussion there. dangers of debt and credit card use. Um and prudent savings plan, you know, which is meaning planning for a rainy day. So don't finance anything for longer than its useful life. That's that's number one. You know, the economics of financing makes uh, it possible for you to buy now and pay later, which is fantastic. Financing an item over a time period lengthier than the useful life of the asset will force you to pay in the future for something that is no longer valuable or have any value, really. This will increase your indebtedness and make you poorer in the future. Where does, you know, where does, when and where does financing make sense? I guess there's two major situations that justify financing long lasting assets that provide services. When a long lasting asset is financed and paid for before the asset is worn out, you're merely paying for the good as you use it. Financing of housing and automobiles provide examples here. I guess the other major situation that you would justify financing was assets that would yield return, yield uh, future income. So, investments are sound when they enhance future income by an amount sufficient to repay the borrowed funds with the interest. So, that could be educational investments often are like that, but always don't, you know, not always meet that criteria. So, the rule of thumb is do not borrow to finance anything other than housing, automobiles, and education. Let's put it that way. When is financing, when can financing become dangerous? Uh, Does not make sense to finance consumer non durable uh, goods that are consumed immediately or depreciate in value quickly. so an example here is clothes, uh, food, vacations, nights out with friends, concerts, tickets to ball games, you know, I anything mean, really. borrowing for these items will lead to future payments, reductions in wealth, frustration, bitterness, and ultimately financial insecurity. So you, you got to get into you know the two ways to get more out of your money is to avoid credit card debt, consider purchasing used items. So prudent use – there has to be discussion now on a prudent use of a credit card and the importance of that. So paying off the balance in full each month is great. Do not buy the item if you cannot afford to pay it off immediately. If you're unable to discipline yourself in this area, cut up the credit card and use only cash. I mean that that has to be taken – I mean people have to hear this because so many people have credit card debt in this country. It is unbelievable. And it's a, it's a giant trap. You know, I mean, credit is very helpful and it's very useful, but it, it can be a giant trap if you're not using it correctly. You know, paying with a credit card is not spending your own money, but borrowing someone else's if you don't pay for it right away. You know, interest rates on credit cards are high because they are unsecured. Interest rates, interest rate cha- you know, charges will be far greater than what you can earn on savings and investments. Think of your credit card as an extension of your checking account. Always pay off your credit card balance each month. You know, it takes it takes a while, right? So if you buy new clothes, go to a once in a lifetime concert with your friends, and buy more and more until you gradually hit your credit limit at three thousand at eighteen percent, you only manage to pay a minimum of fifty dollars each month. How many months will it take to get your you know your your paid off your, your credit card paid off? So it'll take. I mean, people think it would take not that long, but if you think about it, in reality, if that's what you're, you know, you're, you manage, you can only manage a fifty dollar payment each month. Take you one hundred and fifty five months to pay that credit card off, almost thirteen years. So that just tells you how how quick this can create a situation that you can just be stuck at. So let's also say you buy new clothes, right? And you you have all this stuff, and you go to the game, and you go to the concert and you spend, you know, your total three thousand and you can only pay fifty dollars each month. How much you know, how much does the three thousand end up costing you in interest? The answer is about four thousand seven hundred and forty five dollars, thirty five cents in interest. And that's you know, the items costing three thousand are gone. And it'll take you one hundred and fifty five months to get rid of your debt. So don't do it. Just this, this is a quick example of how, you know, nefarious A lot of this stuff can be, but again, I'm not going to go here and say it's predatory or anything like that because I don't believe that. I just think it requires a tremendous amount of self control to be able to use a credit card effectively and uh, responsibly without incurring, you know, much debt. Another thing I mentioned is consider buying used. You know, is buying new worth it all the time? Uh, Depreciation costs make new cars expensive. They depreciate substantially when when they're driven off the lot and depreciate rapidly in the first three years used cars may have slightly higher maintenance costs but their depreciation costs are much lower. You know, there's always an option to consider buying used. Um and that's an that's an important thing to take into effect. You know, another thing that I talk about, you know, I I love reading books. That's one of my things. And you know, there's Amazon and a bunch of places that do sell used books, a bunch of places locally like, you know, John K Kings books, used bookstore. Uh, basically, all used books, and you can go there and buy used books, and nothing's wrong with that. And uh, they're just as good as the new books. In some cases, you might find some, you know, stuff you can't find in the new book aisle because they've been out of print or that edition isn't, you know. So you find some things that you might be interested in that you might not have gotten from, you know, uh, buying it new. At least in that case, right? So many items are just as functional as in used as they are, as they often as they are new and often much less expensive like I said Amazon, you know, Craigslist, eBay, a ton of different applications out there which reduce which you know show alternatives and provide alternatives which reduce the transaction cost and make it easier to buy these items. Um, so I would also make make the uh, make the uh, point to talk about you know begin it's important to begin paying into a rainy day savings account every month. So rainy days and the real world. Let's just be real now about this life is full of surprises and they're usually expensive cars can break down computers crash and your smartphone dies heaters and air conditioning go out people get sick or injured you have to plan for your rainy days putting a plan in place to cover expenses that are uncertain with regard to timing but certain with regard to their occurrence that's really important you need a rainy day savings fund for those expenses in your budget make contributions into your rainy day fund a mandatory part of your monthly budget. You can purchase pe- you can purchase peace of mind by building a rainy day fund. And I think it's important, you know, I mean if you are if you have a 401k, it's important to put, you know, if you're young, a good amount of your income in there and then as well as whatever you take, you know, that's that's hopefully, you know, that's for in retirement and stuff, but you also need to take a certain percentage of your income you make every month and put a little bit, if you can't put a lot, put a little bit towards a rainy day fund because it will change the way things work. <laughs> so right now I want to get into the discussion about uh, investing and building wealth. So I want to talk about the power of compound interest, diversification and reducing investment risk, risk and returns, you know, stock versus bonds. You know, uh, there's us uh, talk about the random walk theory and stock prices Index versus managed equity funds. We're going to get a little bit into that. So as Albert Einstein said, compound interest is the most powerful force in the universe. (laughs) The power of compound interest. Save and invest regularly. There is a large payoff like we've been talking about already. Uh, And uh, I think it's important to keep putting this in the minds of people because it's not taught in schools. High school, this is not really brought up ever. And you go to college and you start incurring debt. As an adult, and by the time you're out of college, you're like, Oh Christ, I have so much debt. So this is, I think, an important thing to teach people, you know, not just, like I said, not just for young people, but it's also important for people that are older and are trying to make their lives, uh, much more financially stable. This is all good and powerful information that gives you, uh, cause, you know, personal financial, you know, freedom and personal financial success will lead to your personal freedom at the end of the day. So compound interest you – know, back to compound interest. Compound interest is simply earning interest on interest. If you don't spend the interest earned on your savings this year, the interest will add to both your savings and the interest earned next year. By doing the same thing each year in the future, you earn – you then earn interest on, your interest on your interest continuously. It's like a small sm- uh, snowball rolling down a snow-covered mountain. Think of it that way and just gaining and gaining over time. So we get into the compound interest. Uh, now we talking about the rule of seventy. You now the rule of seventy estimates the length of time it will take for your money to double. Dividing by seven, you know, d- dividing seventy by the annual rate of return indicates the number of years it will take for your funds to double. For example, if the interest rate were about five percent, it would take fourteen years for the funds to double. Seventy divided by five is fourteen. Now, you know, there's many different illustrations that show this and. And talk about this, but uh, you think about your savings and the 7% annual rate and what that will do. I mean there's a lot of ways to look at it. Um, One of the key lessons of compound interest is in order to accumulate substantial funds for retirement, you must start early. You must make minor sacrifices in the now to save regularly. You know know how to get reasonable returns on your savings and take advantage of power – take advantage of the power of compound interest. Ordinary people can have high standards uh, of living and still accumulate a lot of wealth because it does not take much savings to get a big payoff. As you know, as as we talked earlier, you can can invest in a lot of different ways and make a good amount of money over you know not that long a period of time, considering you know lifespan. Over the long term, people who save and invest will be able to consume far more than those who do not. So when you talk about investing you, know, you diversify you must you know don't put all your eggs in one basket so we talk about stocks and bonds now and the two most com- uh, common financial assets are stocks and bonds now stocks are ownership shares of a corporation corporations raise funds by issuing stock ownership shares which entitle the owners to a proportional share of the firm's profits the stock owners are not liable for the debts of the corporation beyond their initial investment however there's no insurance no assurance that the owners will receive their either receive either their initial investment or any return in the future. A bond is a promise to repay the principal, which is the amount borrowed, plus interest at a specific time in the future. Organizations such as corporations and government issue bonds as a method of borrowing from bondholders. So you can reduce your risk through diversification, holding a large number of unrelated assets, so think about think about it this way. Diversification puts the law of large numbers to work for you. While some of the investments in a diversified portfolio will do poorly, others will do extremely well. The performance of the latter will offset that of the former and the rate of return will will, you know, converge toward the average. Historically, stock ownership has been a sort, you know, has been a source of high returns uh, during the last 2 centuries. Corporate stock, corporate stocks yield real rate of return, meaning uh, real means adjusted for inflation, of approximately 7% per year compared to a real rate of return, about 3% for bonds. Mutual funds provide a low-cost method for small investors and you know, for allowing them to diversify their stock holdings. You know, equity mutual funds, uh, for example, are an entity that pools the funds of investors and use them to purchase a bundle of stocks. And another thing important is to avoid double jeopardy, right? Know some some employers offer investment programs that will match your purchases of a company stock. If you have substantial confidence in that company, you may want to take advantage of this offer. So that's really important, right? You know, after a holding period, typically three years, you may sell the shares of your company stock and use the proceeds to undertake other investments. As soon as you're permitted to do so, you should choose this option. Failure to sell the company stocks puts you in double jeopardy. You you would be beholden to your company both for current employment and retirement income. If your company fails, you would lose both. So think of it that way. Index equity mutual funds can help you beat the experts without taking the excessive risks. Uh, So the random walk theory. We talked about this a little earlier, mentioned it a little bit earlier. Let's get right into it. So the random walk theory indicates that current stock prices reflect the known information about a company. Unforeseeable events drives changes in stock prices. Since future changes are driven by unforeseen events, no one can persistently pick the winners. So the implications of the random walk theory are that the future movement of stock prices will be determined by surprise occurrences, which will cause prices to change in an unpredictable or random fashion. So we talked a little bit about equity funds and uh, the importance of them. So let's get right into it. There's two types of equity funds primarily. Uh, Managed equity mutual funds, which is an equity mutual fund that has a portfolio manager who decides what stocks will be held in the fund and when they'll be bought or sold. A Research staff generally provides support for the fund manager. And then there's also indexed equity mutual funds which uh, an equity mutual fund that holds a portfolio of stocks that matches their shares or weight in broad stock market index such as the S&P 500. Uh, the overhead of these funds is usually quite low because their expenses on stock trading and research are low. The value of mutual fund shares will move up and down along with the index to which the fund is linked. So, talk a little bit about the difference of them. You know, managed funds, you know, the administrative costs are generally high because of A, the cost of employee, excuse me, the cost of employing research staff, B, the cost associated with high volume of stock trading. On the contrary, index funds, you know, administrative costs are lower than managed funds because A, there are no costs of employing a research staff and B, the volume of stock trading is lower. Thus, a large share of the investors funds are channeled into the stock investments directly, an equity mutual fund indexed to a broad stock market indicator such as the S and P 500, or in approximately the average stock market return for its shareholders. Historically, the average long-term yield of an index equity mutual fund has been higher than the, that of managed funds. This is not surprising because, as the random walk theory indicates, not even the experts will be able to forecast consistently the future direction of stock prices with any degree of accuracy you know over the typical decade index funds tied to the S&P 500 have yielded a higher return uh i mean i guess a higher return than 85% of the active you know actively managed funds over 20 year periods index funds have outperformed about 98% of actively managed funds um so there's you know we talk a little bit about the stock returns in the long run now let's get, let's get a little bit into that we there is you know when held over a long lengthy period of time uh this diverse holdings of stocks has historically yielded both high and relatively an stable rate of return. So if you have a good you know, various amount of uh, investments, it will tend to do that over that long period of time. And as we talked about, the highest and lowest returns of stocks on stock coverage as the length of investment period increases. When a 35-year period is you know, considered, the compound annual return for the highest 35-year period 35 years between 1871 and 2015 was a 9.5% compared to 2.7% uh, percent for the lowest 35 years. The annual real return of stock during the worst case scenario was about the same as the real return for bonds. So you can put that into effect and kind of understand that. Well, held over a lengthy period of time, the high and relatively stable return of stocks makes them particularly attractive as a retirement investment. So I guess when we talk about wealth and transitions of life, you can kind of get into risks in insurance, risk in investments, you know, portfolio, portfolio adjustments, and phases of life. So invest in stocks for long-run objectives, but as the need of money approaches, increase the proportion of bonds. So this is all about strategic planning. Start saving for retirement early. Start with diversified portfolios of stocks until the need for retirement funds approaches. Take advantage of the favorable tax uh, treatment provided for retirement plans. Risk associated – there's some risk associated with bonds. Now, two major risks uh, you know, uh, accompanying bonds are, one, inflation risk. Unexpected inflation erodes the purchasing power of the value of the bond and in earned interest. Treasury inflation protected securities, TIPS, TIPS helps protect against these risks. Number two, interest rate risks. Unexpected increases in the interest rate reduces the value of outstanding bonds. This risk increases with the length of time to maturity. Shift bonds as, you know, shift to bonds as retirement approaches. That's why I said earlier, I think it's important. For short time periods such as five years or less, the return of bonds is generally less volatile than stocks. Transfer funds in a diversified portfolio gradually from stocks to bonds as you approach retirement, thus reducing your vulnerability to volatile changes in the market. Two types of retirement plans are uh, – there are two broad types of retirement plans, traditional retirement plans, and that would be uh, the, the traditional and the Roth IRA plans. Your traditional plans include individual retirement accounts, which are IRA. Uh, 401k plans offered by employers and the equivalent 403B plans provided by nonprofit organizations. So now we're going to get into the tax treatment of traditional retirement plans. Now, contributions to traditional plans are deduct are deductible from taxable income. Because of this tax saving, after your ta- because of this tax saving, your after tax income will fall by less than your contribution the contribution into the into the account as well as the earnings are then are tax deferred until they are withdrawn during retirement this will particularly be advantageous if you expect to be in a lower tax bracket during your retirement years contributions into an, a roth ira are not tax deductible thus there is no tax advantage at the time the contributions are made however the value of your investment grows Tax free, and during your retirement years, both the you know, contributors and investment earnings, or excuse me, both the contributions and investment earnings of a Roth IRA can be withdrawn without any payment of taxes. So, some of the pros and cons and the verses of, of both these types of plans. You know, a traditional retirement plan will generally be a better option if you believe your current tax rate is higher than it's likely to be during your retirement years. In contrast. A Roth IRA will probably be better for you if you believe your current marginal income tax rate is about the same or lower than what you expect it to be when you're making withdrawals during retirement. Factors other than present and future income can also be important. Therefore, you should seek some impartial and expert advice before making this decision. You know, so taking some steps that will reduce risk when uh, making a housing education and other investment decisions so here's some things about purchasing a home some pitfalls to avoid the purchase of a home is one of the most important investment decisions most of us will ever be confronted with so some pitfalls to avoid when purchasing a home is renting versus ownership here's a here's a good discussion on this there's a tendency to believe that when you are purchasing a home your monthly mortgage payment will be will build equity However, during the first few years, almost all your monthly mortgage payments will merely cover the interest charges. Your outstanding debt will be reduced by only a small amount. You are simply paying the bank interest instead of paying rent to the landlord. Expected length of tenure. Buying and selling real estate is expensive, and therefore it is not a good idea to purchase a house unless you expect to live in it for at least three years. That's really important. Uh, Down payment. Do not buy a house until you have saved a sizable down payment, preferably at least 20%. If your down payment is less than 20%, you'll have to pay mortgage insurance, which increases your monthly payment. Maintenance and other costs. You know, Just because you can afford a mortgage payment doesn't mean you can afford the house. In addition to the mortgage payment, homeowners will also incur property taxes, insurance, Maintenance and other expenses. Do not forget these costs because they will erode at your total at your at your money. You know, talk about eroding your equity. Let's put it that way. As you build up your equity in your house, do not take out another mortgage or borrow against your equity in order to increase your current consumption. It's not good. It's not good. It's not going to help. These above guidelines will encourage you to live within your means, economize on housing, and minimize the risks involved in housing decisions. Um, talk about education now. Uh, pitfalls to avoid when investing in education. This is uh, something hard for people to hear, but college is not for everybody. You know, out of all people that go and start, you know, a college education, only forty-one percent graduate. So it tells you that college is not for everybody. Now, going to college is expensive, particularly when the earnings foregone are considered. Going to college for a couple of years and then dropping out is often a very, very, very bad investment. It's risky to borrow large amounts for the finance of education, leading to, or lo- leading, leading to low wage occupations. So, for example, looking at certain occupations and saying, "Okay, well, if I graduate and I get a job in this field, I will be making the X amount of dollars." And if that's you know high, and you're going to make you know decent wage, or maybe in the future a high wage. It's fantastic. You can pay back your uh, investment, your investment into education, and uh, your your debt will be paid off, and you'll be able to you know collect a lot of money over a period of time and save a lot. But if you if you're going in towards a field that, so for instance, let's say you go into a field that there is not a high demand for. So you pick a field, and very very few. Number of people are hiring for that field. You might find yourself without a job. You might find yourself working in a different company, you know, a different type of uh, environment altogether that has nothing to do with your career. I mean, nothing to do with your degree. So picking your degree and picking your, you know, your uh, profession is super important before you even think about going to college and whether or not you need college or maybe trade school or something like that or you know community college. There's many different ways of looking at this. Students overuse debt. Some view the student loan check as a free money and borrow too much. Many young people are ill-prepared to judge how difficult it will be to squeeze the funds for repayment of student loans out of their monthly budget after graduation. Uh, So then we can get into investment pitfalls to avoid. It's important to recognize that when making investments, you're vulnerable. You need to think about whether your interests are aligned with the party offering the investment. Whenever you're offered something that seems to be extremely attractive proposition, a step back and carefully examine the incentives behind why this proposition is being presented to you. Beware of deals that sound too good to be true because there's a lot of those things going around these days and have been for years and they end up hurting people. So I guess here's some good tips to avoid in, uh, for avoiding investment fraud. If it looks too good to be true, it probably is. Deal only with parties that have a reputation to protect. Never purchase an investment solicited by telephone or email. Do not allow yourself to be forced into a quick decision, ever. Take your time with it. Do not allow friendship to influence an investment decision, never, ever. That's a bad idea. If high-pressure marketing is involved, grab your checkbook, debit card, and run. <laughs> you know, yeah. It's really important to take those things into consideration. And now we're going to talk about managing risks. So life involves risks; you cannot eliminate risks completely, but you can take you can take steps to reduce and manage them. Insurance can be you know can reduce the financial loss resulting from damage to possessions, such as your home or car, an illness, loss of income, or other harmful events. So let's get into what insurance is. Insurance provides a way for a group of people to pool payments, share risks in order to offset the loss of members actually damaged by an adverse event. The principle of sharing risks is often forgotten because individuals pay premiums to an insurance company and have no interaction with the group members. The insurance company collects premiums from each member of the group, its policyholders, then distribute then. uh disburses, excuse me, then disburses payments when a covered loss occurs. In addition to the cost of covering the, the pooled risk, the insurer will also incur marketing, administrative, and handling costs. Thus, the insurance premiums will have to be somewhat higher than expected costs of the losses of the policyholders. Insurance reduced risk because it spreads the burden of unfortunate events that a few experience over a large group of people. When it comes to large sums, most of of us are risk averse. Thus, we are willing to pay a premium in order to reduce the adverse consequences of various events. Insurance is not always cost effective. Let's put it that way since in many cases, it will make sense to insure against events that, if they occur, will impose severe financial hardships for you. Examples include a severe illness that prevents you from working for an extended period of time, a car accident, or a flood that damages your home. However, ensuring against relatively small adverse events, such as a breakdown of appliances, television, is generally not cost-effective. Providing the risk-sharing services will be expensive relative to the potential harm. Thus, it will generally be more economical to accept the These risks and use your rainy day fund to plan for and cover their costs. So here's some key insurance terms that people should know. Alternate types of automobile insurance. There's collision coverage, which pays for damages to your car in the event of an accident. Comprehensive coverage pays for all-non-collision. Damages such as theft, vandalism, acts of nature like a tree branch falling on your windshield. And liability coverage. And this comes in two forms. One. It pays others for damages to your person to their person or vehicle caused by the operation of your automobile, and two, it pays damages to you and your passengers for medical expenses and death benefits. Additional insurance terms that we're going to discuss today is also deducti- deductibility. Deductibility is the amount the policyholder must pay before the insurance coverage begins. For example, if, if deductible for a homeowner or auto insurance policy was five hundred. The insured will be responsible for the first $500 of damage. Copayment. Uh an upfront fee that an insurer must pay for a service. For example, a $20 copay for a doctor visit or prescription. And co coinsurance. The percent sh- which is the percent share of the cost of an adverse event that a policyholder must pay. For example, a health insurance policy may require the customer to pay 20% of the bill for a hospital staying for a hospital stay or a medical procedure I guess some conclusions right now it's important to teach your kids the principles of success you know money is earned by money is earned by providing services to others primarily services that others value instead of an allowance pay your children for performing certain tasks and educational successes Money spent on one thing means less funds available for the purchase of other items or savings and investing. Beginning at an early age, teach children about this reality and provide them with experiences that will help them learn to choose wisely in the future. Money both helps us and gets us what we want and helps others get what they want. To a large degree, success in life is about setting goals, working hard to achieve those goals and figuring out how to make your services useful to others as well as saving for a specific purpose and spending money wisely we are now you know we're now at the end of the journey our goal has been to provide you know ourselves with the education when you're you're in retirement you're at the end of your journey right you're you're pretty much done working and if you want to you know have a good life that's you know successful fulfilling you need to have a life that's you know entirely filled with the principles that we're talking about today. You need to live by the principles of having practical, smart financial decisions. so in the future, you know exactly what to do. you know exactly where to go, how to put these things in together. You know I guess the goal of discussing all this stuff is to provide you with information and tools that will help you live a more successful and fulfilling life. That's our hope that you know today you will start a, you know on a new journey that will help you earnestly resolve to take control of your life and choose more options consistent with success. You know I don't I don't like being around people that don't want good things for themselves. I don't mean just money. I mean the education. I mean I mean all that stuff. I don't want to be around people that don't want to win. And do better and work hard because this is not who I am. And, you know, you got to surround yourself with people that are like that. And that's another important, you know, thing to you know, I guess kind of end on today is, you know, all this information and tools and uh, to help you make these decisions in your life, you know, concerning, you know, your finances, your savings, budgeting. Investing, you know, all these things are so important. But another really important thing is, you have to know who you're getting involved with, with certain things. Yeah, like I said earlier, you got to be careful with how things, you know, in terms of investment is being sold to you. Um, it's for our betterment of our future. You know, a big problem that a lot of people have, you know, concerning economics and, and personal finance, is most people think consumption is good. And saving is bad. I mean this is this is the Keynesian model in a lot of ways. Uh, I can get, I'll get into that more later on, but many people honestly believe and think that, you know, consumption drives the economy and rather than production and investment and savings. That's completely wrong. It's it's the production that continues and builds an economy. It's the investments that build the economy. It's the savings that help, you know, build the economy and build up you know, people and allows them to live a good life later in their life, and when they're older and you know don't have the ability to work as much. The information that we're talking about today is essential, not only just to young people, like I said, and people just starting off their lives in you know, in school, uh, in college, but to people that have graduated college. People that have been actively working for a few years outside, you know, outside of college recently, and people that have been working for many, many years. I think the information of personal and the you know, the the education that personal finance, at least practical personal finance, uh, financial decisions and choices can make in our lives can lead us to a much more successful and happy state. Most people, you know, when they when they look at the look at the stock market and look at look at investing, they have no clue, no idea. And the good news is there's so many sources out there that will help you get into the mindset, into the mind of the investor, of the intelligent investor, of the practical investor, of the practical saver, and having a budget. These things are essential to having a good life because being broke sucks. Everybody, everybody who's been there knows it sucks and having enough money to take care of yourself and your family, to pay your debts off, to be able to you know send your kids to you know a good school or send yourself to a good school. Um the ability to save for the future, the ability to save money for entrepreneurial success and build a company. All these things come with having a smart and practical personal finance goals and plan if you don't have the action plan nothing good's going to come out of it you need to have an action plan you need to have a set of goals you know your long term your medium term and your long term financial goals and what those want, what those have to be have to somewhat relate to reality and your expected earnings and your expect your earnings and your expected earnings in the future so concerning your personal finances you have to be rational You got to keep your head on straight. You can't just, you know, make wild assumptions about your income in the future. I'm going to be a millionaire by this time. Just shut up. No. What you got to focus on is working hard right now, stay in the moment, and then plan for the future. And the best way to plan is to have a dedicated plan that talks about budgeting, investing, saving, and the necessary things that are all surrounding that, such as insurances, and uh, other avenues for generating passive income. All this stuff is very, very important. And you you can start off small with investing in the stock market, get enough money, take some money out of the stock market, invest in real estate, get some land, buy a building, buy an apartment complex, buy a few homes, rent them out, This is the step towards building intergenerational wealth. This is the steps toward, you know, building a legacy. And it's going to start with making these smart decisions when you're young or stopping right now whatever you're doing and making these smart decisions right now, no matter how old you are. But the younger you are, the more likely, you know, these, these, these things will help you achieve the success you need or want in your life. So it's extremely important for us to, realize that these these things we talk about are not just, you know, cerebral engaging things that are fun to talk about. This is, this is, you know, this is about life. This is about making, you know, this is about making the right choices and decisions to make your life easier in the long run. Less stress. No more grinding, no more fighting. You already won if you're making these decisions you already i mean if i'm investing right now by the time i'm in my 60s and 70s i already won because i made the right choices early on with my money versus being in debt and staying in debt until i'm dead and having that stress and pain on you i see what i've seen what you know living with debt does to people i see i see how much stress it puts on on them i see how it it drives them crazy so I can only imagine that taking these these dedicated goals and taking these advice and these tips from this talk today, I only can imagine what this can do for your life in the long run, let alone the short run. So this is, this is our lives and we have to do what's best for ourselves. We have to, we have to act in our own self-interest. And a big part of acting in your self-interest is budgeting properly, is being financially responsible, you know, not living outside of your means, saving your money, investing your money. It's all part of what you describe as your greater good. This is going to lead me to a better life in my late, in my late life. That's important for a lot of people, as I think it should be. You know, living comfortably as you get older is, is a fantastic idea but if you know we're not taught these things if we're not given the answer on these things then there's it's very hard for us to to make these choices and decisions especially if we never heard about this stuff you know one of the biggest failures of the uh, education system in this country and a lot of countries for that matter but particularly in America you know one of the problems here with public education and just education across the board is very rarely or limited you know amount of exposure to f- personal and financial you know just dis- personal finance dis- discussions doesn't happen very often in school you know even when you're in college talking about personal finance you talk about it in such a abstract way you don't even get into a concrete discussion very often i mean if you're getting into a concrete discussion it's usually dealing with you know prob- you know solving problems for like a- on a test or solving problems for homework very rarely do we get into the practical wisdom that can be applied to this type of living, I don't know why. I have no idea why it's not taught, but it should be. Tons of more Americans would be doing much, much better, and have a lot more savings and a lot less debt if we focus and you know and put our mind towards this type of educational process. You know, our, our goals in life have to be towards bettering ourselves. It's the only way it's going to work. If you want to live a good life, you want to live a happy life, you got to put your heart and soul into everything that will better yourself and better your outcome. That's what I try to do on the show. You know, expose people to ideas and discussions that they haven't thought about or maybe never heard. Maybe have heard but haven't heard it delivered in this way you know it's important for me as you know somebody that that podcasts and discuss these bigger issues and bigger topics and that bigger ideas it's important for me to share things that i've learned in my life maybe a little late maybe a little earlier than i would like of and share them in a way and fashion that can help you make the right decisions in your life i can help push you forward and make you financially independent you know with financial independence and financial you know freedom comes personal freedom all the way around and if we can make these small incremental you know a big thing i talk about and the big thing about you know big thing of the show is hey make small incremental improvements over your life in order to gain success so if you can if you continue doing that you know you can end up having a much better life and a much much better you know future concerning your especially for today's discussion concerning your personal finances and you know and your your ability to budget better and your ability to save and your ability to invest you know like i said it's not taught in schools as it should be but i guess this is one way to hear about it so i want to thank you very much for listening Uh, i want to thank you for supporting the show and i really hope that the information today that i gave uh, can help you make the right decisions in your life concerning your finances have a good one take care